The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. I don't think it's an exaggeration that suggests that we took a monumental step forward as a nation. President Biden's $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill passes the House of Democrats after uh, months of political infighting with a vote on the larger Build Back Better bill in the days ahead. Wall Street hits record highs as investors cheer a massively improved jobs report with over 530,000 jobs added as annual wage gains approach 5%. Berkshire Hathaway's cash pile hits a record high despite aggressive buybacks. And as third quarter operating profit jumps 18% on a continued recovery in its railroad utilities and energy businesses. Meanwhile, China posts a record trade surplus as exports surge more than expected, with year-to-date exports now exceeding those for the whole of last year. And Angie enters exclusive talks with Bouygues. Over a 7 billion euro sale of its energy services unit as the French energy group continues its shift towards renewables. So very good morning, everybody, to Squawk Box this Monday morning. A lot to chew over. Obviously, we need to have a look at the entrails of that non-farm payrolls report on Friday. And what does this infrastructure bill mean for companies in the United States focused on construction? And, of course, we've got the inflation number on Wednesday to look forward to. But before we do all of that, I just have a few numbers from SoftBank to uh, talk you through. So let me just give you the uh, numbers as they're coming through. The pre-tax profit... Uh, for the uh, group on a six-month basis, uh, 1.05 trillion yen. That is down 27.4%. The uh, group delivering a net profit at 363.57 billion yen. That is down 80.7%. The SoftBank Vision Fund unit has booked a 1.167 trillion yen loss on investments in the second quarter, the Vision Fund unit booking, uh, as I say, that significant decline on the second quarter figure. And if you have a look at the uh, share price performance here, um, it's been pretty atrocious, to be honest. Um, the uh, Financial Times, I think, ran a story a few days ago suggesting that the uh, group is under significant pressure now to improve the profile of its share price performance. On a six-monthly basis, the share price is down 40%. On a year-to-date basis, you're off 22.8%. And of course, here in the UK, uh, we've watched the travails of uh, one of the SoftBank-backed uh, e-commerce businesses, um, THG, the Hunt Group. Um, and there's been a certain amount of um, surprise, I think, and concern about the performance of, of that business uh, and its share price profile. So I think the uh, the numbers here will get uh, raked over as uh, investors continue to look at whether this business can actually find the right gear in terms of its uh, current um, high-tech investment 
strategy? Because clearly at this point, Steve, it would seem that they are missing a beat on finding the right businesses to back. Um, good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, Karen. Um, the producers want us to move on and talk about uh, the bills in the House of Representatives. So let's talk about SoftBank. Um, <laughs> morning, team. Uh, absolutely appalling performance. I thought you were very polite there, Jeffrey. Absolutely appalling performance. Right, the Nasdaq is up. 24% year to date. Even the boring old Russell, which is all those kind of you know, older economy businesses, up 23%. The transport's up 34%. Uh, and yet the geniuses over SoftBank, and don't forget, we have been told they are geniuses. They know something uh, about alpha that we don't know in the rest of the world, are down 23% year to date. So an underperformance versus the NASDAQ 100 of 50% year to date. Now, there are two things to say here. Uh, one, clearly, a uh, woeful performance, which I think now we've covered that. Uh, second point to say is, um, with all these new investments out there as well, it appears a lot of them are not going to be profitable as well. A lot of them, though the market is finding out, do not work, whether they're in the private sector, whether they're in the public sector. And there is a metaphor for where I've just been as well, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Just come back from Glasgow. May have mentioned it once or twice last week as well. A lot of money going to go into new investments, into green, into green tech, into new technology as well. Well, the fact of the matter is a lot of that is going to be blind alleys as well. So very, very difficult for always to find a home when you have vast amounts of capital to deploy. And especially if you are one of the behemoths out there as well, uh, finding places to deploy capital at scale has always been a problem for the biggest fund managers and indeed appears for the biggest finances. Karen, Karen, you want us coming. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, one thing I would say is that it's mainly tough comparables, I think, at this point. Don't forget how well tech did in the uh, tail end of that pandemic. You saw very strong figures and, of course, trying to match up is very difficult when you've got a whole portfolio of tech assets. I mean, it's a very messy set of numbers you anyway. You're not actually buying what you just said there, are oh, you? I mean, they've had, if you think about the recovery Have you seen the two year chart on the NASDAQ? say, an Uber and that type of stuff. You, do you really want to go with this because I'll go with it because the two-year chart on the Nasdaq is stellarizing uh, and one could say oh tough comparables with the year ahead year before it was the COVID year uh, absolutely not as well the comparables with the Nasdaq this year compared with last look at there's the chart well done called Katie and Mohammed and team are on form this morning so you give me the comparisons I'll, I'll show you the chart I know you want to take a narrative but, but I want to point out that there's a very complex set of numbers crossing there's all sorts of bits and pieces here you think about the T-Mobile uh, sales that the valuation unrealized gain that's in the numbers today and obviously we're talking about a huge uh, transfer of assets taking place here you've also got uh, other assets that came to markets a ton of ipos here as well i mean trying to well, work well, out mean, and there was a derivative gain as well a very big derivative gain i mean this is a really messy set of numbers to try and work through ipo should be good for uh, the, the, I know the ipo should be good the, the, exactly. the, team says, the team says we've got to move on jeff what do you think well, I'll just say, I mean, just to pick up on Karen's point here, I don't know, Karen, because if you look at the previous uh, six-month gain for 2020, 346.7% on the six-month period for 2019. Now, do you remember the end of 2019? I know it seems an eon away, but we all thought we were coming to the end of a cycle, and that was the uh, the result delivered in a year when we started to think, well, actually, maybe uh, technology is going to start to see slowing investment. And then, of course, we had the pandemic. And then immediately everybody thought, well, technology is the only place to be because everybody's going to be working from home forever. Every company is going to have to go through a new digital upgrade cycle. And if you're invested in technology stocks, you're a genius. 
And then what happened? SoftBank returned 346.7% upside on their pre-tax. Now, you might argue that number is almost as unrealistic as this one appears to be bad at this point, because what we've actually had is, oh, no, we are going back to work. The digital upgrade cycle will happen, but more slowly because of the semiconductor shortages. So maybe the pre-tax profit this time is slower because we've got these other factors that are weighing on the six monthly figures here. I will just say, I mean, if you if you do a read across to Berkshire Hathaway, they missed. And it was clear with this record cash pile that Warren Buffett has that it ain't very easy finding investments to make money in at the moment. Um, we, we, we've got a guess, apparently. It's eight minutes past one uh, in the morning in the States. So we'll get to Neil in a few moments. Though. Apologies, Neil. Right, OK, the House of Representatives has passed a bipartisan... Really? It's bipartisan? Oh, OK. An infrastructure bill. Uh, you wouldn't say that looking at the Democrats themselves, would you? Worth more than $1 billion in a major boost to President Biden's economic agenda. The legislation will now go to Biden's desk for his signature. The package includes funds for improving the country's transport and broadband networks, as well as utilities. Biden said the bill's passage had boosted the US in the face of Chinese competition. The House of Representatives passed an Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. That's a fancy way of saying a bipartisan infrastructure bill, a once-in-a-generation investment that's going to create millions of jobs, modernize our infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, our broadband, a whole range of things, to turn the climate crisis into an opportunity. And it puts us on a path to win the economic competition of the 21st century that we face with China and other large countries and the rest of the world. Uh, Democrats were only able to pass the bill after progressives agreed to support it in return for backing from centrists. By the way, when we say progressives and centrists, we're talking about the same party here. The Democrats are potentially at war with each other. Anyway, uh, backing from the centrists for a larger $1.75 trillion package for the BBB. Uh, That proposal will cover climate change as well uh, as improving the social safety net. Representatives passed a procedural vote Saturday morning ahead of a full vote on the bill. Mr Cutmore. Uh, US job growth topped expectations uh, for October, rising by 531,000 for the month as the unemployment rate fell to 4.6%. The leisure and hospitality sector led the way, supported by gains in professional and business services. Wage growth rose by 0.4% on the month, but jumped almost 5% on an annual basis amid inflationary pressures. Uh, I think we're having a look at the... uh, Ah, I see I've got a Biden bite here. Let me get to that. Oh, President Biden hailed the strong growth in the economy. We learned that our economy created 5.6 million jobs since we took office in January 20th, reached an unemployment rate of 4.6%, two full years earlier than the vast majority of economists projected that would happen. And we've just, we're just getting started. We did something uh, that's long overdue. Let's take a look at the market reaction. Uh, the non-farm payrolls report, uh, good enough for the markets. And uh, some of the cooling off around expectations of rate hikes and the timing of that uh, was a very positive catalyst for markets last week. In fact, fresh records across the Dow, the S&P and NASDAQ. So it was a hat trick uh, for the major markets. And I think technology does tell a very strong narrative too about those rate hikes. If you look over the course of the week, Fang Plus stocks are a very positive part of the market, uh, gaining for the week, uh, second positive week in a row and uh, bounce 
bouncing very strongly uh, across the board, about 1.4%, but outpaced to an extent by banking stocks, which still tells you the market is keeping uh, an eye on uh, the taper program and what that means down the track. And you had a 4% pop over the week for those banking stocks versus the fangs. So that was an outperformance by the banks, but still worth noting a level of comfort around the big technology names for the markets. Let's take a look at the S&P 500 for the month. We've had about five straight weeks of gains. You can see the incline higher, uh, 6.7% bounce. A very strong trading month of October after a fairly choppy month of September. So it really was a bounce back play and not necessarily as volatile as some of the earlier predictions. Uh, The NASDAQ by comparison, a fairly similar image, but a little bit more juice in the system uh, for tech stocks. You can see close to 9%. And don't forget this coincided not just uh, with uh, revelations around the pace around monetary policy, but also tech earnings, the big deluge coming through from Silicon Valley. And that was a, a strong enough uh, momentum for this market to capture new ground, 15,971. I want to take you to Pfizer, another stock where we've seen very strong movement in the trade. Uh, Friday, 10% bounce, all this around its uh, uh, anti viral drug that can effectively cut the risk of hospitalization or death by 89%. This in a late stage trial. So very positive about it being a game changer for COVID. And you can see the stock performing. It's been a strong gainer anyway over the course of the year and uh, put on more in the intraday period, as you can see, rallying right into the close. Uh, but those double digit gains, very strong indeed. I want to take you to the dollar. We did see uh, the uh, reaction to the non-farm payrolls that was sort of set up as a one to watch at a market risk for a lot of investors. But there's been a lot of moving pieces on the majors last week. Disappointment around to the BOE. That's knocked sterling back, uh, 134.89. And uh, euro this morning, you can see 115.66, trying to get a foothold. But uh, dollar is a firmer versus the Japanese yen this morning, also a little bit weaker versus the yuan. The market uh, just adjusting some of those expectations, though, around the dollar. Let's take a look at what we've got on Asian markets, uh, picking up on some of these catalysts from Wall Street and some of the, the sentiment underpinning the market. You can see not exactly taken that green from Wall Street and run with it, the Chinese market, where there's a huge focus on politics this week. It is trading firmer, but other major markets modestly weaker at this stage to kick off the trading week. Jeff. Terrific, Karen. Thank you. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway then has posted an 18% jump in operating profit on the year to $6.6 billion. But the conglomerate missed analysts' expectations as Hurricane Ida hit its insurance operations. Despite setbacks, Berkshire said many of its businesses, including energy and railroads, benefited from economic reopening. The continued rally in equities causing the company to sell some of its stock with its cash pile reaching a new record of nearly $150 billion. Well, Neil Wilson is co-CEO of EJF Capital and joins us now. Neil, very good morning. Thank you for giving us your time. Can we start with um, that story then? You may have heard us just talking about SoftBank and its uh, challenges for this last six-month period. It does seem that these large companies are finding it challenging to develop good investment gains in this environment. No, absolutely. And first of all, thank you very much for having me on this morning. Uh, no, I think I think both the Berkshire Hathaway uh, and the SoftBank uh, stories can be sort of linked. Uh, the valuations are quite high, as you as you mentioned in the uh, the lead up to my uh, appearance uh, in the market. So you have high valuations, and and Berkshire, you know, with its 150 billion of cash, it's saying, look, it's more creative 
to do stock buybacks than it is to to make investments. And Sequoia, I mean Sequoia, uh, uh, SoftBank is going to suffer from the same same kind of concerns about opportunities at these valuation levels. What's the read across then for for the average investor as they look to try and find opportunity in markets at the moment? Um, Is it telling us that really at these valuations, you're going to be challenged to find much uplift from here unless we see a a dramatic improvement in uh, aggregate demand expectations? Well, I would link things back to uh, what you discussed earlier about the passage of the infrastructure bill. I think that combined with, you know, the Pfizer and Merck news about their antivirals and the effectiveness uh, combined with the jobs report, which showed particular growth in leisure and hospitality names. I think uh, you're going to see strength in the airlines and leisure and hospitality names. And I think there's really nothing uh, legislatively that's going to be really an impediment uh, for investors from now until the end of the year. So I think it's going to be a very buoyant market. The only the only thing that's really a, a hiccup along the way is the debt ceiling issue. But usually the, um, you know, the parties do not want to be labeled as the party that allowed America to default on its uh, on its debt. So that I don't see that as a big, uh, it's more nothing more than a small bump in the road. Neil, can I ask you about the Fed risk at this point? Because the market did change its assumptions a little bit after what we had out from the Fed messaging. And of course, the BOE was a bit of a shock to global markets as well. And the Fed funds positioning now uh, calling for a rate hike a little bit later than the initial uh, kickoff that they had in July, now September 2022. Do you think we put much faith in that? Because it feels like there's still lots of moving pieces around the data, inflation numbers yet to cross. And the market could change its mind a number of times before we get to September next year. No, I think that's very fair. There's still an argument that inflation is transitory. However, I, w- I would say that the the, the real backdrop um, you you've put six trillion into the into the system in the United States. Now you've put another one trillion. Although the infrastructure bill really will not have a big impact in terms of money spent until the second half of 2022. But I do believe, at least uh, EJF Capital believes, that there will be some version of a reconciliation bill that gets put through. And again, that's more spending. Um, and so there has there are inflationary pressures there. So even though um, there was some backing off you know, with, with the Fed and their language, uh, they are tapering. The ECB is already tapering. That's going to pull a lot of uh, money out of the system. That has a, a, a rate increase uh, kind of component to it. Also, the infrastructure bill is not fully paid for. Uh, there's an estimate that basically about $250 billion will have to be borrowed. So again, that will have a modest, but will have, a, a, you know, will affect rates to go up. Um, that's why, you know, we're, we're very constructive on the banks. You had mentioned uh, Berkshire Hathaway earlier having its uh, big position in Bank of America. Um, but I, I really think with, with what we have to understand about banks and why we're so constructive on them, particularly the smaller uh, you know, regional and community banks, is because any on, on the short end of the curve, 1% increase in the short end of the curve can have a 10 to 20% increase in net earnings for banks. There's that much of a lag in the cost of deposits. So that's we think that's a very strong and interesting area. I'm taking a point. I was looking at the performance last week of banks versus technology. Just two points of comparison. You saw that outperformance in the sector, which begs the question, what about technology? I was talking to Brad Smith over at Microsoft last week, and he was saying it's going to be back to the fundamentals. And we know that a lot of the technology names do not still stack up on fundamentals at this point. So how concerned are you about the sector overall? Well, I, I, again, we're not, uh, we're not uh, concretely focused on uh, technology, except we do think there are some interesting plays 
in the intersection between um, you know the cryptocurrency uh, regulation we expect to take place and, and in the banks. And, and so, uh, for example, um, on November 1st, the president's working group had it came out with a report on stablecoin and said, look, the banking system needs to be uh, be involved here. Um, on November 3rd, the acting comptroller of the currency said, look, um, the payment systems, which are, again, technology driven, uh, those are something they're going to have to contend with and probably bring on regulation. And then, of course, Gary Gensler, who's the uh, new SEC chairman under um, under Biden, uh, he's he is he used to teach cryptocurrency at MIT, but he believes there should be more regulation. So from a technology area, we think a very interesting area is what's taking place in the payments area in particular. So fintech names are very interesting. The interplay between uh, those banks that really can take advantage and, and really can facilitate uh, that those fintech systems, those are areas that are really interesting to look at. Uh, Neil, uh, I noticed you're in Virginia and I, I can't let you go without talking about obviously the Virginia governor's race or, or the senator from West Virginia who seems to be a thorn in the side of Mr. Biden at the moment as well, all kicking off in Virginia as well. How much is politics going to affect the markets? Well, I, as, I, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I think between now and the end of the year, I don't think you'll see um, you know, the reconciliation uh, push through. It could possibly by the end of the year. But look, uh, what, what happened in the election was a wake-up call. Uh, defeat has a way of sharpening focus and resolve to act. And I think that's what you saw in the passage of the infrastructure bill. I do think you'll see reconciliation. I do think you'll see more money pumped into the system. Um, again, we have the debt ceiling is roughly you know, due December 3rd. Um, the CBO, which, as you mentioned, the Congressional Budget Office. That was kind of the compromise was to get the uh, to get the progressives uh, and moderates on board. Um, but I will say that the infrastructure bill uh, was bipartisan. I mean, you had 19 uh, Republican senators vote for it, so you had 69 out of 100 vote for it. So it's a very popular bill, and I do think the Democrats did themselves a great favor uh, because after that uh, defeat in Virginia, which again Biden won Virginia by the Commonwealth by 10 points. Uh, and they almost, the, the Republicans also won the, gov almost won the governorship in New Jersey, which Biden won by 14 points. So that was a big wake up call. So I think you'll see more legislative action. And I think it's only gonna be a buoyant to, to, you know, buoyant to, the, to the market. Yeah, and Neil, I remember 2016, it was also in Virginia, Ashburn, Virginia, that uh, Trump was touting what he was gonna do on infrastructure uh, when he became president. Didn't quite work out like that. But Neil, excellent. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Neil Wilson, co-CEO of EJF Capital. Uh, the US will today lift a nearly 20-month travel ban on international visitors from over 30 countries, including the EU, UK, India and China. Air carriers have reported a surge in bookings, with United Airlines expecting a 50% jump in international inbound passengers today compared with last week. The point to uh, raise is that uh, it's, uh, you've got to prove uh, your vaccination. So foreign travellers to the US will now have to present proof of vaccination and a negative COVID test to enter the country. Have you booked your booster, Jeff? Uh, I am still not quite there on the uh, timescale. I think, uh, what is it, six months. So I had mine back end of, the last one back end of May. So I'm looking at the end of November, early December, but I will do it. That's the plan anyway. Um, let's take the break. Chinese exports. <laughs> have, have you, how did you manage that? Because you don't have to wait six months. Because <laughs> you've gone early. I've gone early. Uh, Chinese exports beat expectations uh, in the run-up to the holiday season. We're going to bring you details in just a few moments. We'll be right back.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, important week in China for the uh, Politburo there. The top Chinese officials are gathering in Beijing this week. It's a summit that's expected to lay the groundwork for President Xi Jinping to secure an unprecedented third five-year term next year. This is the sixth Communist Party Central Committee plenum. Uh, it's under the theme of major achievements and historical experience of the party in the past century, but comes in the shadow of property jitters, energy shortages and fresh COVID outbreaks. Meanwhile, we've had some data. The export growth number beat expectations in October as demand ramps up ahead of the holiday season. Outbound shipments rose by 27.1%, with the world's second largest economy posting a record global trade surplus, although Beijing's balance with the United States was slightly lower as the import number missed. Sam has the details. China notched a record trade surplus last month as strong demand for goods out of the country stayed strong. Exports grew at a slightly slower pace in October but beat expectations thanks to a surge in shipments ahead of the holiday season but also as the situation around the energy shortage improved which seemed to have eased some of these supply constraints. Now economists suggest stronger exports should help mitigate softening growth elsewhere and that the government may be able to afford to hold off until next year to loosen monetary and fiscal policies. Now, imports, on the other hand, grew at a faster pace than September, but missed expectations, signalling slower domestic demand. Crude oil imports, for instance, fell to their lowest since September. Soybean imports to their lowest since March last year. Now, coal imports jumped significantly compared to a year ago amid the power crunch, but they fell from a month earlier as China turned to its domestic supplies. Now, that widened the trade surplus to 84 and a half billion dollars, the highest, as I said, on record. China's trade surplus with the US, meanwhile, narrowed to $40.75 billion. Uh, and of course, this number is closely watched as those Trump-era tariffs remain in place and as China has been lagging in its overall purchases under the phase one trade agreement, which expires next month. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.